Why don't you grab a Bible? If you don't have a Bible, we got a great big one that'll come up here on the screen. And uh, I want you to get this one another. How many have been enjoying the one another series? There's, there's just been stuff that we've been mining out of the one another scriptures in the Bible that are so powerful for living. And have you noticed that every one of those, all of those one another's are rooted in one thing, love. You gotta start by loving Jesus and the attribute of staying in his presence gets you to a place where you can do things not just for one, but for another. With no strings attached. Today I'm gonna talk about harmony with one another. I know you may not have heard it beside you during the worship of singing, but in the spirit, there's harmony in this house. So I want you to go to Romans chapter 12, and if you don't have a Bible, just uh, get the app out. It's right there on the app. Download the app. If you're new here, those of you at home, uh, download the app. The notes are in there. You can follow. It's really easy. It's really cool. It really is. So I want you to go to Romans chapter 12 and verse 6, and the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit pins these words of God. Here we go. He says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Don't be a jerk. The world can act like jerks. You and I can't. Don't be a jerk. Now, while you're taking notes, just why don't you just make that the title of the message? Don't be a jerk. Live in harmony. Why would there be so many references to God's people living in harmony? Why is it always there? I mean, throughout the scripture, you find it harmony, unity. Let me tell you why. Because you got to work to live in harmony, even with people who've given your life to, to Jesus. Because sometimes, how I many know you and I can be a jerk sometimes? Don't, don't make that your confession to each other. I can be a jerk. Don't do that. Just look at your neighbor before you sit down and say, just say this. We harmonize well together. Tell them that, amen? Come on, we harmonize well together. You're not lying, you're not lying, you're not lying. Come on, you can be seated in the house of God. You know, I am so convinced that God desperately, desperately wants the body of Christ, his people to be unified. I desperately believe it. And I also believe this. I believe Satan does more to fight unity or harmony than anything else in the body of Christ. You say, well, I don't believe that. I just wait till November hits. Might be a good time for you just to unplug from social media during leading up to that. Seriously. Satan fights it. Why do you think Satan has some churches fighting over their music? Really? That's the hill we're going to die on? 
Whether you sing Maverick City or you sing from the Chuck Wagon Gang or from Bill Gaither, that's the hill we're all gonna die on? I can't believe they're wearing, letting them kids wear ripped up jeans. Really, that's the one we're gonna die on. But churches are dying on those things. Nobody's getting saved. Why do you think Satan fights this one so much? Why do, you, why do you think he's fighting your marriage the way he's fighting it? If your marriage is in conflict right now, let me tell you something. You must have something special that Satan really wants to get after. Why do you think Satan fights it so much, unity? I'm gonna tell you a reason why. Because the power of God begins to operate when marriages are in unity, when churches are in unity, when the body is in unity. The reason Satan fights it is because it is one of the most powerful forces. Let me tell you, go ahead and fast. Go ahead and pray. Go ahead and cast out devils. Go ahead and learn scripture. Quote it. Take notes. But I'm going to tell you something that will kick his brains in more in your marriage and more in a church than anything else is when you get unified and live in harmony and be one like Jesus and the Father with one. How many of you believe, folks, we're going to learn how to harmonize with each other? Amen? We're going to learn. Because it's not easy to obtain. It is not easy to obtain. We can applaud it. We can nod our heads to it but you have to work to live in harmony. So I think maybe the first thing to do is maybe we ought to define harmony because you may have what you think's harmony for your marriage and it really isn't biblical harmony. You may think you know what harmony is for this church, but it's not biblical harmony. What, we need to define harmony, okay? This is really important, okay? First, let's go to 1 Peter 3.8 because let me back up on 1 Peter 3.8. First of all, 1 Peter 3.8 is written to the believers who are being persecuted by the world who is rejecting Jesus. We've got it much easier. we got it much easier. Much easier here in the United States. These people are losing their jobs, they're taking their money, they're taking their land, they're persecuting them because they have chosen to follow Jesus Christ the Messiah. So these folks are in it. And so Paul, I mean, disciple Peter, through the Holy Spirit is really telling them, if you guys really need each other, it's right now. So watch this. 1 Peter 3, just stay right there, just stay in that passage because we're going to hang out there for a minute through this message on living in harmony because he talks about it. He says, finally, 1 Peter 3, 8. He says, finally, all of you should be of what, everybody? One mind. One mind. Let's break that down a little bit because I think some people have a twisted idea of what unity or harmony is. L let me tell you what unity is not. Unity is not union. Just because you're with me doesn't mean you're with me. Just because a person, just because a couple is married doesn't mean they're together. Just because they're in the small group doesn't mean they're together. And let me prove it to you. I can take two alley cats, tie their tails together, and throw them over a clothesline. I can have them in union, but how many know they're not going to be in unity? Isn't it amazing how 
sometimes unity comes. This is tough, but isn't it, isn't it interesting that you can have union and not unity? Let me, let me prove it. 9-11 was one of the pictures everybody thought was unity. No, that was union. When a terrorist attack happened, I mean, I'm telling you, you thought Republicans and Democrats were kissing cousins. It didn't take two weeks later till they're at each other's throats again. Why? Because when pressure comes on us, we all get unified. When we're being attacked from the outside, we all get unified, but that's not unity, that's union. Because it's pressure that is causing you to get together. Someone's after us, we better come agreement on something. But pressure cannot be the thing that keeps your marriage together. Pressure cannot be the thing that keeps a country together. What keeps the body together is not, it's the world against us and us against the world. That pressure cannot be the thing that keeps us together. What keeps us together must be presence. The presence of Jesus Christ weaving in and out of our lives in every detail that creates true unity. Because pressure can back off. And the moment pressure backs off, here comes the conflict again. So unity, union is not unity. Let me tell you something else union, unity is not. Some people think, oh, our church, we're so in unity. Well, y'all look alike. Y'all dress alike. Y'all live in the same neighborhood. All your kids go to the same school. That's uniformity. Is it wrong? No, it's not wrong. Is, is union wrong? No, it's not wrong. But it's not harmony and it's not unity. Unity is not unanimity. Where everybody ought to always agree on the same thing. That we're all alike and we all agree. I guarantee it. Y'all don't agree on everything. I promise you don't agree on thing. It's tough to get. Y'all not, you, you can't even agree on where you're going to eat lunch after service. Unity is not unanimity and it's not uniformity. Some people think that we all look alike. We all talk alike. That, that's not unity. Everybody, everybody comes from the same, everybody comes from the same socioeconomic level. Everybody else is the same race. We all sing the same music. We all live in the same socioeconomic level. We're all the same age. No, that's not unity. That's uniformity. People say, that's what church I want to go to. I want where all the kids are good. We all come to the same neighborhoods. We all have the same pay grade. We all have the same goals and desires. Well, no, no, no. We all look alike. I don't want to go to church where there's not a suit in there. It's just, we got to honor God better. No, that's uniformity. And last time I checked, the only place where you had to all look alike, sing the same song, all look alike, all be alike, all wear the same outfit, the last time I checked, I think they call those cults. We all wear the robe, we all have the chimes, we all shave our head. That's uniformity, that's not unity. So here's what I don't expect out of this church. I don't expect uniformity. We all look alike. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I tried to have an all-Asian church. Just couldn't pull it off here in Grand Rapids. I could eat Chinese every day. That's Brenda. I could eat Chinese every day. I love it. Three times a day. Support my people. Come on, amen. But I don't expect this church to all be like me. I don't expect unanimity where we all agree on the same thing at the same time. But I'll tell you one thing I will contend for. I will contend for unity in this church. So 
what is unity? I guess the best way I could put it is oneness of heart and singleness of purpose of why we exist. But you can't get the oneness of purpose until you have the passion of your heart and the heart is the presence of Jesus intertwined in your life in daily real time where he is working through you in and out, weaving in, in and out, every single day. See, so I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't read the Bible just to get sermon notes. I read the Bible because I need his presence. I need his character. I need his nature. I need it, I need it coming into my marriage. I need it coming into my leading my own life. I need it coming in how I lead other people. I need it coming into my money. I need it coming into how I, how I treat my sexuality. I need it constantly weaving so I'm looking more and somehow being more like him. Because unity is truly the oneness, it is really, it is, it is the oneness of heart. It is the oneness of heart. And out of the oneness of his heart, his heart beats, beats in mind. And we come to singleness of purpose of why we exist. How are we doing? Because I don't expect uniformity. I don't expect unanimity. In fact, what I expect is a symphony. I expect an orchestra. Don't you love orchestras? How many, I, I love listening to classical music. I used to play the violin, believe it or not. I did. I played the violin up until I went to high school. And I don't know why. I let people talk me out of it because it just, I just didn't look like a tough guy playing the violin at 90 pounds. <laughs> but I love playing in the orchestra and I love listening to classical music. And you know what I understand about orchestras is there are three sections. There's the winds, there's the strings, and there are the percussions. And if everyone played the same string and the same note, you wouldn't have an orchestra. In fact, it'd be pretty dull, and I don't think people hang around much. They don't play it because it's not a symphony, it's not an orchestra. And unity does not mean that everybody plays the same string and plays the same note. Everybody's in uniformity, everybody is the same thing, and everybody is the same. Unity means that everybody plays the same song in the same key at the same time, and out of it comes the harmony that everybody wants to listen to. Not all of a sudden the oboe's thinking, you know what, we're going to have a revolt over here. We're going we're, we're to play something different over here. We just can't put up with this bunch. They aren't following. This is not the way this orchestra is being. No, it's everybody playing the same song in the same key at the same time. And out of it, people say, I want to listen to this. I don't want to third grade orchestra sitting there screeching the only time they're on key is when they cross it everybody's going plugging their ears we don't want to hear that don't you think maybe that's what's happening to an unbelieving world they're plugging the ears and don't want to hear the blah 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 coming out of the neighbor about their church when they watch how they talk about their church don't you think that the hairstylist really doesn't want to go to your church if all you can do is talk about how you didn't like what they said and how you disagree with them do you really think people want to be a part of that Jesus was clear about purpose because he knew his passion. I love what 1 John 3 to 8 says. It says, for this purpose was the Son of God manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. In other words, whatever Jesus' purpose is, the closer I get to him, the more I want to do his purpose. What I want to do is I want to find every destroying sin that comes and destroys people's identity, destroys who they are in Christ, destroys their purpose in life, and I want to go after that to show them who Jesus says you are and what Jesus has called you to do and who he really says you are and not what culture says you are, not who they think you ought to be. What does Jesus design you for? 
I want to know the purpose. Jesus knew his purpose. I mean, his, his mission statement was simple. John 3.16. Come on, why don't you say it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Watch this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Simple, clean, passion from the father and passion from his purpose in life. Go after people. And whatever his purpose is, is my purpose. And what I want to tell you, friends, is that's the reason why our mission statement is very clear. It's just simple. It's clear. Bringing people to Christ and equipping them to be like him. Sam Reifkogel's mission statement is clear. I want to follow Jesus Christ and be like him. And I, when I do it, I start finding out that I have oneness of heart and singleness of purpose with the Father. That's our goal here, is to get oneness of heart and singleness of purpose. And whatever his purpose is, how many believe it ought to be our purpose as well? Amen. Unity, singleness, listen, oneness of heart, singleness of purpose. I love that. I love that. It's because I wrote it. I love it. No, it's because it's God's word. I love it. Now, how does that look? So you, you define unity, but how does it look? Let's talk about what 1 Peter 3 talks about, the demonstration of harmony. Here's the first thing about the demonstration of harmony. Here's the first demonstration, okay? Watch this. You belong to one another. I know some of you have never met the person on the other side of the auditorium, but here's the deal. When you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you said, I don't just belong to Jesus, I belong to you. Now, let's go to verse 8, okay? Let me show you what I'm talking about here. He says, sympathize with each other. Now, let's read this next line out loud together. Ready? Love each other as... Wow! Did you see what the Apostle Peter called us? He called... He called us brothers and sisters. Do you know where those terms are really used? Those terms are used around family. That means we are a family. I love a big family. I love a big family. Now, if you use the term brothers and sisters, then that means something. We must have the same father. And if you have the same father then you must be from the same family. And he uses that term. You know, everybody says we're all children of God. Ah. Don't send the email, but I don't buy that. Because I remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees who acted spiritual, knew the law, knew the world, and all they tried to do was destroy Jesus' passion and his purpose, his mission, his purpose. And you know what he looked at him and said? He said, you're of your father. You're of your father, the devil. He said, you are not my brother. You are not my sister because we're not of the same family because we have different daddies. Wow. 
So if I'm going to be brother and sister to you, then we both have to have the same father. And we both got to be born from the same family. It's not us against them. It's simply, who's your daddy? Well, then how? I want to I be, be in his family. I want to be the brother, and I want to be the brother-sister. Well, then how do I do that? Aren't you glad that not only is God's mission clear, how many thank God that his path is easy? And here's what Jesus said in John chapter 1, verse 12. Look, here's, here's what it says in John chapter 1, verse 12. He says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the what? The right to become what? Children of God. They are reborn. <laughs> they are reborn. Don't you love that? They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. It's so simple. It's so simple. If you want to be a child of God, then he's got to be your daddy. And if he's your daddy, then I want to know what daddy knows best. Maybe you've never made him. Oh, isn't that amazing when he said we call him Abba Father, the intimate term, Jesus, Daddy God. Daddy God. The one looking out for your best interest. But he says the only way you can have this, just think about this for a minute. If you want to be his child, if you really are brother and sister, then he's got to be your dad and you got to be born into this family. And how many know it is so simple to be born into this family? He just says all you got to do is believe that he is the son of God and that he paid the price on the cross. Just think about that for a moment. And that as a result of that, he gives you the right to become his son, his daughter, just by asking him. So I'll tell you what, I, I, I wasn't planning this, but I think now's as good a time as any. Don't feel disconnected because you're at home. Now's as good a time as any to whether you want him to be your dad or not. Be your father. Now's as good a time as any. You said, but wait a minute, the organ's not playing. I, I know. I'm a little nervous about this. Because the organ should be playing right now. And putting you in a mood and getting your emotions. Oh, I feel it. But maybe he just wants you to take him just to face value today and say, you know what, Father? I don't need to wait till the organ plays and there's a quiver in the preacher's voice. I just, I'm just ready to say I'm ready to follow you. I want to accept what you did for me when you died. And when your blood was shed, if I take it, all my sins are gone. And it's not a physical birth born like when my mom and dad had passion and love. And they planned, hey, let's wait two years after we get married and then, do, let's, let's, then we'll do this child thing. No, Father, you're ready right now. And I'm ready right now. So ma'am, sir, young person... Those of you watching online, how about we just belong to him and then belong to one another by just asking him, okay? 
So I, you know, I don't have enough, there's no organ going here, no keys, and uh, lights are still up. So we'll all be nervous about this together because it's not just right, but I think it's just right, don't you? But I will ask you to do this. Because I can't save you and the person beside you can't save you, I want you just close your eyes with me. Just close your eyes. Nobody looking. Just close your eyes. And I'm, I'm going to open mine, but just everyone close your eyes for a moment. And those of you right there at the house, why don't we make a decision right now to belong to him? Because you already paid the price for that. And you're saying, I need to come to him today, Pastor. I want to be his child. And I want him because he's already paid the price for me to be forgiven. If that's you, I'm just going to simply count to three. Just hold your hand up and hold it up to him because I can't save you. Just, just raise it to him like you're reaching out to him. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. You're my dad and I'm your son. I'm your daughter. Those of you at home do the same thing. There's a pastor right there online ready to, ready to meet you right where you are. So here we go. Ready? When I count to three, just lift it. Okay? Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Just lift it up. That's for me, Pastor. Thank you. Good. Because he's talking to you, isn't he? Yeah. Hands in the back, all over this place. Yeah. Yeah. He loves you. I cannot tell you enough how much your Father, Heavenly Father, loves you so much. You can put your hands down. You can put them down. I want you to open up your eyes and look at me just for a second. So let me tell you how crazy heaven's going right now. We're going to try to give you a microcosm here of what's happening. When he just called your name out and said, they just received what I did at the cross. They want what I did at the cross. Jesus said, when one comes to him, all of heaven, angels, all those that have gone on for us are jumping, shouting, going nuts right now after you. Come on, church. Let's do right now. Let's do right now what's happening up there. Those of you at home, what's happening up there, this is just a microcosm of the joy that Jesus has for you. Right now, his love for you, right now. You belong to him. You belong to him. Oh, you belong to him. You'll never be the same. Those of you who raise your hand, you'll never be the same. Never, 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 never be the same. Never. Remain standing, everybody. Remain standing just for a moment. Those of you who raise your hands, those at home, I want you to say this simple prayer. I'm going to lead you, but you can talk to him just like I'm talking this morning. Just have a talk with him every day. Just talk to him. Talk to him in the car. Talk to him everywhere. He's listening. I want you to just join me in this prayer if you raise your hand. Just say, Lord Jesus. I believe it, and I receive all that you did for me. I know I don't deserve it, but you paid the price. And all you are asking for is simple trust, simple belief, and acceptance of what you did. Now, I receive who you say I am. By the power of your blood, I give my life to you. And so with my mouth I declare, you are the son of the living God and you're my daddy and I'm your child and I will never be the same. I'm following you from this day forward. In Jesus Christ's name.
Amen. Now let's go crazy one more time. Come on, amen. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Good times in the kingdom of God. Good times. Now look at the person beside you for sit down and say, and remember, we belong to each other. Tell them that. Come on, we belong to each other. You sit down. How do I demonstrate this? You just demonstrated it. You just demonstrated it. You don't talk about it. You did it. You did it. We're proud of you. You did it. I will help you grow too. If, you, if, you, if that was you, you gave your life to Jesus, though you're watching online, I just want you to text the word for everybody. Get your mobile device out. Young lady, sir, get it out and text me that right now. Just text it to me. Watch it online. Forgiven to that number right there. And I'm going to help you keep growing and keep growing and keep growing because we belong to it. How does this work out? After the service, those of you who want to grow in Jesus, see that grow this way? You just, after service, go right through that door and there's going to be a class there that shows you how to grow. Just keep growing and belonging to each other. Isn't this good? It's good. That's how you demonstrate. You belong to one another. Now, here's what else you do. You bless one another. You don't just belong to each other. You start blessing each other. How can I do that? Let's go to 1 Peter 3.8 again. Look what he says. I just love this, how you bless one another. He says, sympathize with each other. Everybody say sympathize. Let me break that down, what that means. It means to share in each other's suffering. Take my word from it for a moment. When someone's going through something difficult, challenging, tragic in their life, you don't have to be a theologian to sympathize. In fact, we probably don't need a theologian at that time. You don't. You say, I don't know what to say. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do is say nothing. Job's friends did their best when they kept their mouth shut. When they kept their mouth shut. Theologians, they'll come. Talking, counseling, it'll come. But when you're going through hell, all you need is someone to sit there and just cry with you. And just say, you tell me what you need, I'll be there. With everything in my power. That's what brothers and sisters do. They don't try to give an explanation. They don't need a counseling session. They just need you to sit there. And sometimes it's called the sacredness of silence. Just shut up. Just sit there. It's the most healing thing you'll ever do for another brother and sister. You don't need to go, and you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Shut up. You know, I remember when I was, shut up. Sympathy means just to share in the suffering, to take and deep it, dig into their emotion and just sit there, cry and say, I'm sorry. What can I do? You let me know. That's it. Don't have to get a scripture ready. How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you know you're right on, Pastor? Everybody can do that. Everybody can do that. And then look what he says. Look what he says. 
He says, love each other as brothers and sisters and be tenderhearted. That word tenderhearted means just have compassion. Don't say, well, you know, if they just handled their money right. They don't need that. Just need compassion. Compassion. We can talk about all the other stuff later. They just need compassion. Be tenderhearted toward each other. You may not understand why they have that viewpoint right now. Just be compassionate. And keep a humble heart. How do I bless each other? Not just be tender-hearted. Don't think too high of yourself, as like Paul said. No job is too low. Just, just be humble. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean you treat yourself like a doormat. Doesn't mean don't don't think don't think less of yourself. Just think of yourself less. And say, I'm just gonna serve them for a moment. So it's real easy. He makes so how do I bless you? Sympathy. Be tender-hearted. Have a humble heart. And look at verse 9. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults. Now, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to believers. (laughs) We do this a whole lot more with the advent of social media. Because it's easier just to launch a salvo by text and by Instagram or by Facebook and never actually sit down and just talk with somebody. Am I preaching better than y'all letting on what's going on here? <laughs> Let me keep moving on. I got to move on. He said, but he said, don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. So that means he's talking to brothers and sisters. Somebody's going to insult you. Your chances of getting your feeling hurt in this church is 100%. You don't believe us? Just ask anybody who's married if they've ever been insulted by their spouse. All right. <laughs> Boy, some, <laughs> some people may need to call Uber to go home today. All right. <laughs> he said, instead, when they do it, instead, pay them back with what? Blessing. Blessing. See, here's something that you and I are paying more attention to as believers, and I think he's dealing with us as believers. Have you noticed how the world retaliates when someone offends them or insults them? They retaliate. It's coming more on the scene than we've ever seen before. They retaliate. Never want to sit down and have a conversation. They retaliate. In fact, here's what's happening in the world. If you don't agree with the world and their perspective of cultural issues, what happens is, is... They want to say to you and me, you're intolerant. And then intolerance is not just intolerance, it's code language that you hate me. And you hate people like me. And nothing could be further from the truth. See, because the world, it's not, you you, you got to either line up or you're intolerant. And if you're intolerant, then you don't love. Can I give you just something, just what love really does? Love does not produce tolerance, people. In fact, when Jesus taught it, love never produced tolerance. But love produces patience. Patience. So when the believers have a conflict, love allows them, watch this, are you ready? Love with Christ intertwined through you allows them to have a robust 
sane, respectful conversation and yet be patient with those who do not agree with me or are still walking out their freedom in Christ without condemning them or judging them. I talk fast and loud to excite. I talk slow when I want to educate myself and others. Love gives you the ability to be patient when you're there and they're not. Because here's what I discovered. I'm just the delivery boy. I'm not the surgeon. The Holy Spirit is the adjuster and you are not the adjuster. He's the one that does the adjusting. All I do is with him weaved through my words, my emotions, I bring his truth about what he says about you and what he has for you. I can't adjust you. He's the one that is adjusting. I have to sit back and patiently love you. Not, in, not tolerant, love you. How are we doing? Choose to bless, everybody. Come on, just say, I choose to bless. I pay back with blessing. How many know even in the best families, there's conflict and there's hurt? There is. How many know you didn't get to choose the family you were in? <laughs> don't you wish we could have? Some of you don't want to identify with that June pool. You're going, man, there's a bunch of granolas in my family, a bunch of fruits, nuts, and flakes. I tell you, I went out of this one. I'm not telling you that this means ignore issues. Oh, no, 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 no. Love produces patience. Doesn't, doesn't produce silence. Sometimes you need to be silent. It gives you the ability to have the conversation and yet let be patient. You're not the adjuster he is. It means choose to bless him. It doesn't mean ignore the issue they have, but it means to choose what you focus on doesn't mean ignore the issue or even talk about it. It means, what am I going to choose to focus on that person? In fact, it's really interesting that word, that word blessing there in the Greek is yologio, yologio, where you get the word eulogy. Have you ever been to a memorial service for somebody and people get up and do the eulogy? And does the eulogy go like something like this? Let me tell you about that dirt bag. You know, I loaned him 50 bucks. You know, he never paid me back. Frankly, I couldn't really stand the guy. I don't know why they picked me. It's the same word as eulogy. What happens in a memorial service when you give a eulogy? You don't focus on the flaws because everybody's got one. Many of them. But you focus on the things that God blessed them with and the things they did right. What does that mean? It means as a believer, I am not going to ignore the issue. But I will tell you this. I choose to focus on the things that are right. I choose to focus on the things. I choose to be kind. I choose to be compassionate. I choose to be, I choose to be humble. How many believe this is the way God was toward you and me with all of our sin and he accepted us? Come on. That's why the Bible tells us, and Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.3, he says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, demonstrate harmony. 
demonstrated. Okay, I'm coming in for a landing. I'm almost done. Ready? How many know God would never tell us to do something if there wasn't a positive outcome and a blessing that was coming with it? So here are the dividends when you work hard at unity, at harmony. Here are the dividends. Look what he says in verse 9. He says, that is what God has called you to do. He said, don't repay with insults. He said, God's called you to do this. And he says, and he will do what? Bless you for it. Then I choose to look at the positive. I let God do the adjusting. How do I do this? You get blessing. You got to do it by the Holy Spirit. But this chapter, look at this whole chapter. If you read this whole chapter, it speaks of the power of unity. And if you'll go in the earlier part before he talks to the church, guess who he talks to before the church? He talks to husbands and wives. He talks to wives how to respect the office of their husband. They're not perfect men. And he talks to husbands about how they ought to treat their wives because in that culture, they were doormats. Let me tell you, Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, elevates the place of women like no other religion on the planet Earth. Let me show you, let me, let me show you these, this teaching here. I want to talk to families, husbands and wives in your deal. Look what he says to husbands, 1 Peter 3, 7. He says, you husbands must give honor to your wives. It means to elevate it. Treat your wife with understanding. Everybody say understanding. Do you know the word understanding there is called acquired knowledge? That means it doesn't matter how long you've been married, you keep acquiring knowledge about your spouse. Because do you know your spouse does change? Just take out the high school picture and look. <laughs> you do change. So this means the Holy Spirit gives you an ability to gain acquired knowledge even when things may change. How to understand them. So if that's what God is saying to the husband's wife, this is a microcosm of the body of Christ. So when you come to dealing with other people in the church, you got to understand People are always being changed by the Holy Spirit. Allow God to do it. Live in an understanding way with each other. Watch this. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. God doesn't put you here and her down here. He says you are an equal partner. Since you came to Jesus Christ, you both sit up in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Watch this. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. Okay, that's a microcosm of the relationship of the body of Christ together and with the Father. He said, if you want to see powerful things happen in your life, stay in unity because your partner's intertwined with the Father. Watch, this is so interesting. So, I hope this works. You're intertwined. So the blue is the guy. That's close to pink I could get. <laughs> By yourself, without unity with others. People say, well, I'm just not going to quit going to church because I got mad over there. The enemy wants to separate people out of unity. But by yourself, when the tension comes, it's very weak. Let me just, maybe, maybe I can do it this way. The weight of the world and the temptation of the world comes upon you. All right? So when the weight comes, 
You can take a little bit of things. You can take a few things when the weight comes. By yourself. I don't need God. I don't need Jesus. I don't need the church. You just start adding a little bit of temptation. You start adding a little Facebook comments to it. And here's what happens to people under that weight. They just can't take the tension. And it didn't take much just to go. All it takes is one jerk to say something and to snap. I need people in unity. I need, I need a married couple in unity. I'll take the Klein Wassings. They sit up here. They look like they're in unity. Come on up here, Klein Wassings. Now, can you have, have you're like a strong guy there. Bring those weights over there. If you take, no, let's bring those weights over there, Pastor Eric. You take two of them, start winding them together. What happened to my, what happened to my white piece of yarn? Oh, there it is. You take these two and you start weaving them together. Here, you, you can hold that. See, these two got married. Start twisting that together. They work so good together, don't they? All right. So let's take that same, same way. Now, don't go crazy on me, okay? This, 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 uh, this illustration's got to work, all right? So just lift that up there. Just like easy. They can lift that pretty good. I'll put it down. Give them a hand. Wonderful job. But now you start adding kids into the equation. If they're not in unity, well, you start to lift that. It can snap pretty quick. But there's something, and this is what happens to the world with a lot of stuff. Stuff snaps easy right now in the world. Easy. Here's the difference between Unity in the body. Let's do it with husbands and wives. Here's the husband's wife. They say, we love each other, but there's this invisible presence in my life that means more to me than you. So my first priority is in order to take the pressure, because we don't want pressure, is what keeps us together. Because when pressure's gone, we're divided again. Or sometimes when pressure comes on, it really rips things up. But there's this invisible presence that's in there, and they say, you know, we want God to put us together. They get married, and they start weaving this invisible presence that nobody can see, and most people don't even know it's there. But they start weaving it together, this invisible presence. Well, so I knew it would take long to do that. So I just took the liberty to weave it into the, these two people. Nobody can see it, but the world sees it when it snaps without it. But then they say, even the church, they start taking the same things 
that broke other people. And when they have to lift the burden, go ahead. I think we can take it. Or let's put this in here. All of a sudden, since you've got the children, financial pressures, and now he's having to work extra jobs. And I remember we had money. Some people say, well, you don't have the money. I'm not hanging around. But when the financial pressures come, I think we're still going to make it. The world can snap. Or all of a sudden, it's been a while, and all you can keep doing is looking at his high school picture or her high school picture. It's not what it used to be. But now you see that one person you did go to high school with on Facebook, and they're really good at using filters. And the pressure and the temptation starts coming, but because there's an invisible presence that is always weaved between these two, when that temptation comes, you can lift it. It's still going to be able to make it. And then all of a sudden, let's say, loss comes in your family that you never expected. And the world looks at you. And everybody else seemed to snap. But when you have to start lifting that burden, it's not because you're dependent on her and because you're just dependent on him. Go ahead and lift it. It's because you have a presence that's weaving between you that nobody can see. Or better yet, let's make it the church. All of a sudden, you see bodies of Christ, people splitting up. Well, I don't go to that church because I tell you what, they just don't, they just don't act holy enough up over there. They got them ripped up jeans and you ought to come dressed in your best because you treat God with the best and that's the hill they're going to die on. Oh, I tell you what, I don't like their music. It's too fast, it's too loud, too quiet, too slow, too bright, too dark. That's the hill we're going to die on. And they snap. Because if you don't keep the constant relationship with the presence of the Holy Spirit weaved, you're going to snap. All of a sudden in the church, well, it's, they wear masks, I don't wear masks. We got one side, do we vaccinate? Do we, don't, we don't vaccinate. We got one side Republicans, we got one side Democrats. Well, I can't go to that church because I don't believe in pre-trib, I'm post-trib, well, I'm mid-trib, well, I'm pan-trib. It's all going to pan out just fine. But the church is snapping. Because when you don't treat each other as gifts of God, honoring her and honoring each other, other churches snap. Wow, did you see who's taking the offering? Go ahead and lift that. When the real pressure comes on the marriage, when the real pressure comes on the church, when social issues come and we're so afraid, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We don't snap because we've got a presence that can take any kind of weight you can throw at it. Any kind of weight. And let me tell you, when they notice it, the world never sees Jesus when you're driving out in a nice car. It's not bad. The world never sees Jesus when 
you and your wife are holding hands. You just married, been married your first year. We just love each other so deeply. And we're going to teach all y'all how to have a happy, have a happy marriage. Your child's three, and you're going to tell us how to raise children. World doesn't see it then. World doesn't see it when you pull up in your house. World doesn't see it when you say, my kid's an honor student at such and such school. That's not when they see Jesus. You know when they see him? They see him lift that up. When yours doesn't snap. Because they know what made other people snap and what's about ready to make them snap. They know what temptation makes them snap. They know what besetting sin made them snap. But why is it you're tempted with the same thing you've gone through, the same thing I've gone through? You've gone through the same troubles, you've had the same loss, you've lost the same job, you've had the same thing happen to you, you've, everything's gone crazy, something happened in your marriage, and how come you guys, why are you still making it? Why is your church still joyful? Why is it still happy? Why is it still reaching people? Why? Why? Because we're not married to a program, or we're not, it's not pressure that keeps us, it's not programs that keeps us, it is the intertwining of the presence of God as we keep weaving together, weaving together, and weaving together and weaving together, being taught, being patient with each other, even when their lives may not be right. And the world only sees Jesus when the pressure is on, but you don't snap. You cry, you grieve, you anguish, you repent. You have conversations with God, but you keep running back to that presence. You keep running back to it and you keep him. Nobody can see it, but he's in there. And the only time they know he's there is when the weight is lifted and you don't snap. Thank you, Pastor Eric, Pastor Heather. Pastor Heather, did I call you Pastor Heather? Pastor Eric, Heather, Ken, Barbie. I just, I don't So we get in unity. Sympathize with one another. Be tender-hearted when they're acting like a jerk. And then have the conversation. You know, I don't know if you realize this, but that's what happened when you did that to that brother and sister. And I don't know if you don't know it. But it's to be tender-hearted even in your approach. Humble. to see it when we don't snap. Some of you may, may be snapping at each other. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come do a work in you and say, Holy Spirit, would you just keep bringing me back to you every single day, every single moment. Let's not make, mo let's not make morning devotions about 
okay, I, I checked off the box for today because this is my routine. Discipline's a great thing, but delight in the discipline is even better. How good it is for brothers and sisters to be in unity, Psalm 133. Because it's like the anointing, the presence of God that flow down the head, down the beard, down the whole body. Everybody sees the presence of God clear to the big toe. Oh my goodness. How many glad that the Holy Spirit spoke something to you today, amen?